Are we doing something oh, right now? Thank <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of the amazing academic discoveries and innovations that, um, that never seem to really touch our lives, though. And we're here to find out what it takes to make those innovations into actual things that touch our lives. Thank you for joining us. We're sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer Office uh, and Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I'm joined by Joe Rungi. Say hi, Joe. Hi, Charlie. Joe's a lawyer who works in our office. And Tyler Scher, an ex-scientist who also works in our office in the licensed department. Say hi, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. <laughs> ah, boy, I had to know that was coming. At some point, we had to hit that joke, didn't we? Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, well, I should say both of you. Um, we are, well, first... Um, do you have a very special message for our listeners? Yes, please subscribe to the podcast and please rate it uh, so others can learn about all the great stuff Charlie's doing and uh, Tyler and I are doing. Yes, uh, one of the things that we do want to do is tell the untold stories of academic innovation. And so by rating and, and, and getting the word out for us helps us do that. Um, so all that said, uh, it's about time we went over science. <laughs> Just science in general. And Tyler, we talked about it in the beginning. Um, what got you out of science? I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm, I'm being facetious. But you were, you were in the lab. You didn't like doing the lab work. You didn't like doing the experiments. Uh, you know, what, what about it that didn't, didn't trip your trigger? Yeah. Actually, when I first got into it, I loved it. Oh. But I was in it. You know, you're in the lab. It's... You're you're on the on the the edge of, of discovery in your field in your realm of science. You're on the you're on the frontier, and it's really cool and really exciting, and you're really jazzed about the projects you're working on. Mm -hmm. um, and and then you have a failed experiment, and you're like, okay, well, that's gonna happen every once in a while, right? And then you have another failed experiment, and then another one, another one. You start to realize that the majority of science is act science is actually failure. Well, when it's you say failure. failed experiment, how much you know? What kind of time investment are we talking about? Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, this can be days to weeks to, if it's an animal study, you can have months invested. That's months of time, not to mention all the money. Yeah, this can be really hard. It can be really depressing. Well, Joe, um, Joe, a I lot know, of pressure. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, Joe, I know you're a, you're, a, you're a lawyer, right? But you also were, uh, you worked, uh, you had a master's in science, right? I do. I have a master's degree. Master. So, you did you ever think about pursuing a PhD? Was that ever a thought for you? No, I, I knew pretty early on that I wasn't cut out for it. Um, okay. I knew that I, the program I went to, there was no master's program. You basically did kind of a baby PhD. Um, they actually called it that. Baby, <laughs> baby, um, and and it was very different for me because you know I, I kind of knew that I had a, an earlier exit, um, and I also knew that I was just kind of that was it, right? Like you know, I, I didn't have a, a scientific career beyond that, and I, I did my research while I was in law school, which um, definitely okay. created its own set of challenges, but it, it made me view it very differently. But you know, I, I kind of went into it very much where Tyler ended up, which was you know this notion that. Uh, to me, th there are some people, the highs are so good 
that they can get through the lows. And, and that's really good because otherwise people wouldn't do science. We need those people. Right. We need those people. And, and I think that it's really important to give people with scientific training alternate career options because if, if you can't sustain satisfaction in your job when things work through the times when things don't, then you're setting yourself up for a really difficult career, yeah. you know, because you're, you're going to be frustrated constantly by the frustrating things, and it's not going to sustain you to the things that are really cool. And, and for me, as someone who is kind of talky and, and grew up... Mm-hmm. Talky, you say? Yeah, talky. Um, and and <laughs> that, that was my nickname. Um, it's a scientific here, term. Talky. <laughs> as someone who is good at getting by with just waving his hands and saying stuff... Um, Law seemed like a much more natural uh, professional track for me. So, Tyler, though the, um, the the failure though you're talking about, um, how I mean, what does that do to you when you when you invest that kind of time and then it doesn't work? Yeah, it's so the con- uh, Let me get to the, the real question I want to ask, which is so then when it does work, did you ever have an experiment that did work? Yeah, oh, plenty of experiments work. Okay, uh, but unfortunately, even when they do work, um, they you have to reproduce them. So, if it works once. That's that's good. You you kind of breathe a sigh of relief, but okay. then you have to do it again. You have to replicate your results, right? Good science is is repeatable. Okay. Even if it works a second that time, sounds simple enough. Okay, if it works a second time, even better. But you're not you're not in the clear yet. You have to. The standard is typically you have to have replicates within each individual experiment, and you have to be able to repeat it three times. If it repeats, then a third time at a minimum, the unicorn is born with his wings. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. No. <laughs> then, then you've you've finally done it. Uh, you then you, you you can finally feel confident. Uh, unfortunately, though, um, there's been reports and one in 2016 out of out of Nature um, indicating that even experiments that seem to have been repeated um, with replicates three times aren't reproducible in the hands of other scientists, and even up to 50% aren't Wait. reproducible in the hands of the same scientists <laughs> no. later on. Okay, so you're talking about, okay, okay so scientist uh, Joe Smith does something and uh, does it again. Yes. Does it a third time. Yes. And then he writes a paper on it. Yes. Submits it to science. Some other scientist says, hey, that's kind of neat. I want to see if I can do that. So Jill tries to do it in her lab, and it just fails completely. Yeah. 70% of the time. Yes. Now, there's some huge prefaces here. So science is extremely difficult. Good science. Science is hard. Is hard. That's why why I didn't do it. And it's all like we've talked about, I think, in a previous podcast. Hopefully, all of you have been listening to all of our podcasts up to this point, all two of you. (laughs) I think it's Floyd and Beatrice, I think, are the (laughs) listeners. They are up to speed. Um, so, uh, so as we discussed in a previous podcast, um, you have to you have to create. Oftentimes, your your good science is creating a model. It, when you're studying something that hasn't been studied before, you're also creating the model to study that interaction, that that mechanism, that biological, especially in biology or in medicine. Good science, the 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 ideal experiment has all the variables controlled except for that one variable of interest. And this is where good biology or medical science is extremely hard. If you're trying to take something that occurs in a living organism, in humans, somewhere in humans, with all of our complexity, all of that stew, all the chemicals, the mechanical complexity, and try to recreate that, make a model of it in a lab, in a test tube, it's an imperfect... I would say <laughs> practice. So here. well, okay. Well, then that thirty percent. Then to look at it from the other from the other side, thirty percent of those experiments or those studies or ex- 
whatever we're calling those. Um, they must be totally awesome then. They must be, that must be all the new drugs and all the new cures that we're not hearing about. I don't know. So repeatability, you know, first of all, it's not necessarily a measure of good or bad, right? It may just simply be a measure of the conditions that there is a lack of appreciation for some experimental condition that makes the science unrepeatable. So it, it's certainly not the message, I think, of the authors of that paper that, you know, 70% of science is totally worthless. What it means is 70% of science was not done in a way that fully appreciated all the variables that made experiments work. Exactly. Wow. So, okay. But it's still a reality, right? And so one of the things that's always like... Wait, I'm sorry. So to back up for just a second. So you're talking about, you know, they failed to account for maybe, I don't know, the... Atmospheric the, the humidity. PhD, the, they, pH, the pH levels of blood or something like that. Or. Right, right. Or it could be a variable with, like, no real understanding, right? It, huh. it could be... I don't know, electromagnetic waves or, you know, sonic <laughs> interference from insects or quantum <laughs> entanglement from the other room. I mean, you know, I should just I keep riffing on I forget this. about the quantum entanglement. <laughs> so I just saw Ant-Man, so. One big real-life example that was published when I was doing research was uh, when, when you're – so they – they, they discovered that when you're handling um, animals, uh, various animals for animal models, um, it made a difference in their immune response, whether they're being handled by male or female scientists. Whoa. That actually had a, an impact on their immune response. So that's, yeah, that's something that is, <laughs> but sounds crazy. Whether or not there are plants in the room. But, but this goes back to something Tyler said about biological systems, right? Biological mm -hmm. systems, we don't understand them, period. And so to say that we've controlled for everything is not true. Um, you, you know, even... Simple things like bacteria, right? Um, no, there, there's more to the biology of them than we fully comprehend, which means how can you control for everything? Science is reductionist, right? You reduce to the known variables in an experiment, but if you can't sort of surmise what all those variables are, kind of what Tyler's point was, you're not controlling for anything. And so in the tech transfer office, you know, we get these moments where we have a biological invention and there's a, a company or a partner says, wow, that looks really cool. Let's test it. And so yeah. you have to figure out that's, you know, technology transfer in a big sense. You have to basically talk them through the process of repeating your experiments. And sometimes it's as simple as not getting concentrations of reagents right. I mean, but when you do it effectively, it is a very detailed project where the exact protocol is painstakingly spelled out all the equipment, you know, what kind of centrifuge are you using? What kind of incubator are you using? What is the temperature? What is the media? How do you make it? How do you sterilize it? All of these things are, are absolutely essential. And a lot of times we will have projects where it's not that the science isn't replicable. We just can't figure out how to replicate it. That there's some variable that's getting stuck that's hmm. unable to sort of make it work. There, there's an old story, um, the Vienna Sausage Factory in Chicago when they moved it to a different facility, they thought they'd replicated every aspect of the industrial process to make Vienna sausages. And when they came out the other end, they tasted fine, but they were like the wrong color. And it turned out Oh no, that... I don't wanna know. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's charming. So th there was uh, a step where this, this guy who retired, when they made the new plant, he would wheel them down this long path and they would cool to a certain temperature in that and it wasn't accounted for when they built the new factory. And so they figured it out and they put a step into the factory and Vienna and sausages. That's are... why Vienna sausages are their appealing gray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we would turn on a sponsorship from Vienna sausages, but 
the the point is right that it's the what is it it's it's never the thing you you don't know that gets you it's the things you're certain of or whatever right you think you understand all the variables but in reality you you don't and so it's like this really special thing when we send out a molecule and can actually get it meaningfully replicated that that is not you know any um slight against the things that don't work it's just it's a it's a testament to how difficult it is to get things to okay so when we get stuff that works they should they you know how come they're not out there then i mean we have the the peptides right i mean peptides we didn't think they would work but they did right and it's amazing right and these peptides are they're novel biological agents they they are able to kill bacteria they are able to do it in a way that doesn't cause resistance these are sort of uh, really in-demand antibiotics. But they kill, I, we're talking about stuff that doesn't, I mean, I, you just glossed over it a bit, but I mean, you're talking about something that wouldn't encourage um, superbugs, right? Right, exactly. They, they don't essentially uh, contribute to immune-resistant antibi- or antibiotic-resistant <laughs> bacteria. <laughs> bacteria. Thank so you. let's get them. Let's do it. Right. The problem is, is, so we were working with a chemicals company, and they tested our peptides. Like, we love these things. How much for a ton? A ton. A ton. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. We're producing. So peptides are really tiny, little tiny uh, what are they? proteins, proteins, right? They're, little they're, protein fragments, yeah, basically. Yeah, they're, 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 okay. the, the, they're, they're sort of baby proteins. They're little fragments right. of protein. So like when you're talking little, about a ton yeah. of those, that's. Well, and these are produced synthetically. So we have a, a machine that sort of puts together all the little subparts of them one at a time. And okay. it's thousands of dollars to you know, produce a test tube full. Oh, boy. Right. So a ton. We're like, well, it will only cost you $20 billion. <laughs> All your money. It, it actually was even more complicated than that. Oh, it's, my gosh. No one had ever – there had been experiments to produce peptides at that scale. And in reality, this is you know for all the people out there who are going to be doing scientific corrections. Uh, and we'll have information on the antimicrobial peptides in the notes to, to the podcast. But what ended up happening was we did ex- a lot of research into mass peptide production. And there have been a lot of people that tried it. It would be through fermentation where you yep. grow them in bacteria. There were a couple of other sort of more exotic industrial scale production that didn't really work. But it, it just gets to this point that how difficult it is to have those innovations actually touch our lives. Because just having it work is like, that's the ante to the game. You know, you actually have to then figure out, okay, how do I produce it in a way that people can afford it? How can I produce it in a way that deliver it? How do I embody it in a product that people can actually use? I mean, no one is going to pay billion, you know, $3,000 for a dose of antibiotics. Uh, that's just not sustainable. Uh, yeah. Um, God, that makes me so sad. Well, it, it just proves how much more innovation needs to happen. But to the credit uh, of, of the inventor, Dr. Gus Wang, he very much took that in stride. And he realized, one, we have to find different applications that are more suitable for the volumes that we can produce. And that's something that we're working on now. We're using these coatings. So a very small amount of peptides can make uh, a medical device resistant to infection. Oh, so um, you're talking like an implant or? Yeah, that's actually one of the places that okay. we're looking at first. Um, he's also now spending a lot of time researching how to produce peptides more efficiently. But it's a way in which technology transfer informs the scientific process, right? We can go back to the inventor and say, Almost there. <laughs> now you just need to be able to produce a ton of this for a tenth of the cost that you already can do it. Wow. Um, and and to the inventor's credit, he's like, all right, challenge accepted. Let's you know, do this. So that's actually one of my favorite parts about tech transfer, getting into that, that, that feedback that we can provide. But that's actually probably better spent on a, on a new podcast. So on that note, I think it's time we come to ground. Thank you for joining us. For Tyler Sher and Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie Litton. 
Uh, please join us again, and don't forget to rate our podcast if you if you liked it, and please uh, recommend us to others.